0: Thank you Steve. Morning everyone. It's good to see so many and some new faces, visitors. If you don't know me, my name is Jean. I've been here at this church too long to remember and I'm one of the readers here and have been for 17 years. So, this is a covenant service today, the last day of 2017. A priest, a minister and a rabbi went to see who's best at his job. Each of them go into the woods, finds a bear and attempts to convert it. Later the priest says, when I found the bear, I read to him from the catechism and sprinkled him with holy water. Next week is his first communion. I found a bear by the stream, said the minister, and preached God's holy word. The bear was so mesmerized that he let me baptize him. They both looked down at the rabbi was lying on a stretcher in a body cast. Looking back, he says, maybe I shouldn't have started with the circumcision. (laughs) It's a good one, isn't it? (laughs) Well, a week on from Christmas Day, how the time has flown. We wait all those hours and weeks and months for the day to come and then it's gone in a flash. But the amazing thing about last Sunday is that God's gift to us on Christmas morning still continues. It's the gift that really does keep on giving. And on this Covenant Sunday, the last day of 2017, we're going to see how these two passages, which Ruth read so beautifully, can help us understand the benefits of a covenant relationship with Jesus. And we're going to look at the response of the shepherds, the response of the parents, and the response of Mary herself, and then how we can respond to these two passages this morning. So, there were shepherds in the fields nearby. Now, amazingly, this joyous event by the angels wasn't announced to high-ranking officials in the palace, but lowly shepherds working the night shift, doing a dull, dirty and dangerous job at the bottom of the social scale in Israel. This sort of reminds us a bit of Mary's song in Luke 1 where she sang, God has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. It truly was a miraculous announcement to these few men. One commentary, and I found this really interesting, even suggests They may have been the shepherds who supplied the lambs that were sacrificed in the temple for the forgiveness of sins. And here the angels invited those same shepherds to greet the baby who was in fact the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And as the angels disappeared and the glory and the light left, the shepherds' world went dark again. Imagine how they must have felt as they picked themselves up from the ground and checked to see if they were still alive after such an encounter. Luke records for us their response to the news that the angels had brought them. Let's go. Let's see. And then later on, let's tell. They could have made excuses, of course. They could easily have said, well, first let me go and find someone to take care of the sheep. Or... I'd like to go, but I'm really needed here. Instead, like the fisherman and the tax collector and many others 30 years later, they heed the call and praise God that with their feet they went to check out the facts. And indeed, we have several people here this morning who have heeded the call of God to go to St John's Church and have actively responded And we will be commissioning them for that service later on. So once the shepherds had seen the baby with their own eyes, the evidence satisfied them to such an extent that they passed the good news on to other people. Seeing really was believing. So these lowly shepherds were chosen as the first preachers of the good news of the newborn king. And all were amazed who heard them. So the shepherds actively responded to the divine angelic revelation by going, seeing and telling. Now we have Mary's response and it's probable from this account that she shared this story herself because we see brief and simple touches regarding her own feelings. Picture her having laboured all night to bring forth this baby into the world. And now she quietly watches as other events unfold. Mary, therefore, represents a quieter response to divine revelation. She treasured all these things up and pondered them in her heart. She weighed them up in her mind, trying to understand what it meant concerning this child. She'd already heard the words of the angel Gabriel about the baby she was to bear, And now she heard the response and the report of the shepherds. Still feeling puzzled, she needed time to fathom the meaning of it all. And some years later, in fact 12 years later, they found the boy Jesus in the temple. And Luke told us that Mary responded in exactly the same way. She treasured all these things in her heart. So Mary's response to the divine miracle was a quieter response, thinking deeply, pondering, holding all these things in her heart and treasuring them and waiting in trust for God to work things out. And then we have the parents' response to the law. Both Mary and Joseph, as the parents of Jesus, now respond to the Jewish law by bringing Jesus to the temple to be circumcised. Hence the joke. All firstborn Jewish children were dedicated to God. An animal was sacrificed on their place and they were to serve God all their lives. Jesus' parents obeyed the law of Israel so that Jesus could live as a member of God's ancient chosen people. Today, New Year's Eve, Covenant Sunday, And this response of Mary and Joseph reminds us that they were fulfilling God's covenant with Abraham, which is found in Genesis chapter 17. God said, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. It will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. So by submitting to circumcision, Abraham was signifying that he was consecrating himself and his offspring down the years in the service of the Lord. And God, in his turn, was committing himself to the care and protection of his people. Because covenant implies a two-way relationship between two people. Now Paul, in Romans chapter 4, explains this in much more detail that circumcision was the outward sign of the righteousness that God had credited to Abraham because of his faith. So then Paul goes on to say Abraham is the father not just of the Jews but also of believing Gentiles, the uncircumcised, because he believed and was justified. The promise that God gave to Abraham all those years ago stated that he would be the father of many nations and that the entire world would be blessed through him. And that means us, you and me. And this covenant promise is now fulfilled in Jesus, who was from Abraham's line and truly through Jesus, the servant king, the whole world has indeed been blessed. So by the response of the parents, Jesus was initiated into the Jewish church through this covenant of circumcision. On the one part, the parents promised Jesus would serve God in fulfilling the duties of the faith. And on the other part, Jesus would be entitled to all the privileges of a son of Abraham. And through the life of Jesus... And through his death, we see how committed he was to the service of his father. He fulfilled the law much to to the greatest possible extent. And later we have his recorded words in John 5. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. So the physical act of circumcision was a sign that the individual stood in covenant relationship with God. But don't worry, we don't have to go through physical circumcision now. Paul talks about this circumcision made without hands in Colossians 2 and he says, in him, that's in Jesus, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Not with the circumcision done with the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, the cutting off of the old life, not just the cutting of the flesh. At this covenant of circumcision, the baby is also given his name. And in that culture, people considered a person's name to be much more than a simple label to identify someone they believe that someone, the person's identity, was tied up in the name. That the name expressed something of the person's character. So the baby is given the name Jesus, which was given to them by the angel. It comes from the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means he saves. And it was actually a common name amongst baby boys in that time and place. But how relevant. Jesus, he saves How true that is, Jesus, the Saviour of the world. So the parents respond to God's covenant law by obediently doing what the law required through circumcision and naming their child. So on to our Galatians 4 reading and straight away those verses are linked with the birth of Jesus and how profound that first verse that Ruth read is. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now we obviously don't live under the Jewish law, but certainly we are described in many places as being enslaved to another law, the law of sin. Paul again in Romans 6 says, Sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but you are under grace. And Paul in that passage in Galatians helps us understand this by giving us a picture of a young boy in a wealthy home. This boy is the legal heir and future master of the entire estate. But as long as he is a child, his life is just like that of a slave. He is supervised and disciplined, and he's under the supervision of other people, under authority until the time set by his father, when he will be free from control and then be able to enjoy his full rights as heir and master of the family estate. The adoption imagery here picks up something from the Old Testament, a concept there where God calling and referring to the nation of Israel, calls them, my son. So Paul is telling us that because we are in a covenant relationship with God, we are not under the law of sin anymore. Jesus has saved us and redeemed us from the law. So not only can we be in a covenant relationship with God, he goes further and gives us the right to be adopted as God's children, just as many Roman slaves in that time were adopted by the family and then automatically had full rights as if they were a blood son. Five words bring home the wonder of our salvation. Redemption is followed by adoption you are automatically adopted into God's family the minute you receive God's redeeming power in your life. No longer slaves, as Paul describes in Romans, but sons of the Father. Romans 8, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Abba, the word Abba, has no direct translation in English. The closest word we have is dad. We cry, dad. So not only have we entered into a covenant relationship with God, but we've been adopted into his family. We've been given a fresh start. But even more, we've already entered into our inheritance. We've come of age. We've grown up. God has not only pardoned us and redeemed us, but he's given us the full rights as sons and daughters of the living king. God's gift to us last Sunday is going to keep on giving us that same joy and thankfulness we had at the beginning when we first received Christ. This is a pure gift. We cannot earn it, we don't deserve it, we can only give thanks for it and share this gift with others like the shepherds did. And part of that gift, as the message puts it from Galatians, says it so well. Doesn't the privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are no longer a slave, but a child? And if you are a child, you are also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. Intimate conversation, prayer, one of the proofs of our sonship. And of course, the Holy Spirit is given, not just Proof of our sonship, but as a consequence of it. So amazingly, our state of slavery and minority is past. We have now entered upon the full privileges of the adult son. And just as Jesus was given a name, so when we receive Christ, we too receive a new name Christ's ones, Christians. And our new identity is tied up with the powerful name of Jesus. So to close, the shepherds actively responded to the angels' glorious message by going, seeing and telling, as have several people in our fellowship. Mary responded by quietly thinking about these things and pondering them and holding them and treasuring them in her heart. The parents responded by obeying the law, presenting Jesus to the Lord and entering him into that covenant relationship. So, how will we respond? We could respond like the shepherds and actively respond to any call that God makes on our life. Or we might feel it more appropriate to respond like Mary, treasuring these things and pondering them and thinking about it quietly. Or we can, like the parents of Jesus, willingly enter into a covenant relationship with God this morning. Through the blood of Jesus, we have been given the new covenant, which we will share today when we take the cup of wine at Holy Communion. And we're going to say a covenant prayer together shortly. So when we say it, let's do so with the full assurance that we are God's adopted children that we are sons and heirs of the living God who bear his name, Christ's ones, and that our identity is tied up with that of Jesus. And let's remember that we are entering into a two-way agreement with the Lord. And as we offer ourselves to him in service at the beginning of 2018, he, God Almighty, in turn promises us, his loving presence, his power and enables us to have complete access to all his resources and all the rights of being a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen.